0: This is a WTOP original podcast
1: from podcast one previously on colors. I'm a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson's grandfather who had a grandson who married a slave.
2: Her name is Risha Rainey. She's an African-American woman. She's also a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, and she has got quite a story to tell. I
1: recall not knowing why I might want to join this organization. And once I became a member, I was embraced by the society. And I feel like that's a story that a lot of people don't know. It seems that America isn't willing to advance and allow them to progress to the society that they are today. Coming up in this episode of Colors.
2: It's our last episode before the 2020 presidential election, so we take a unique look at how race will factor in the election, specifically how foreign adversaries are trying to leverage it. Uh,
3: they, they do that with disinformation, disinformation to widen divides that already
2: exist in our society. That's H.R. McMaster, former national security advisor to President Donald Trump. And he's talking specifically about Russia.
3: They spent about 80% of their time and effort on dividing us on issues of race.
2: That's
1: coming up in this episode of Colors.
2: Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't
4: breathe. I can't breathe.
2: The search for solutions starts here. From
1: WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
5: I'm Chris Corr, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. The 2020
2: election is the most divisive in modern times. There are many issues that divide us. Politics, the legal and justice systems, economics, education. There are cultural differences, but perhaps the most prominent issue is race. The death of George Floyd, which gave birth to this show, is the proof. There have been many other incidents before and since Memorial Day of 2020 that have drawn Americans of all races out to the streets to protest, to riot, to demonstrate, and no matter how you define them, they've all been manifestations of America's long-running racial tensions. But our racial struggles have not taken place in secret. The world has seen them, and some of the U.S.'s adversaries, namely Russia, has sought to take advantage of it. This program will highlight how they're doing it, our role in helping them, how to stop it, and where we stand. Five days ahead of one of the most important elections ever.
3: Disruption,
2: disinformation, and denial, right? The three Ds. This is H.R. McMaster. He's the former national security advisor for President Trump. He's also a retired general, and he's written a book called Battlegrounds, the fight to defend the free world. And he talked to us about Russia's concerted effort to insert itself in our government, and especially our election, using race,
3: and they want they want to disrupt us, uh, and, and 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 disrupt our confidence in who we are as a people, and in our democratic principles and institutions and processes. Uh, they, they do that with disinformation, disinformation to widen divides that already exist in our society. They they spend about eighty they spend about eighty percent of their time and effort on dividing us on issues of race.
2: This isn't the first time Russia's tried to do this. This has happened repeatedly for decades in the U.S., back in the days in the 60s when they used to use pamphlets and flyers to spread around disinformation trying to divide the American people. But it also happened in the 2016 election. And in fact, just before the election, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper and former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson issued an alert about that very thing, but that particular alert was swallowed up by the events of the day.
6: Unfortunately, it was emasculated by the Access Hollywood tape audio tapes, which came out exactly the same day. So just to make that point, what they did in 16, the Russians, of course, was um, very aggressive exploitation of social media, and uh, I think in the Mueller volume one, uh, the quote, the statistic of where the Russians reached on Facebook alone, some 132 million Americans. And they had, they had messages for everybody in under the general rubric of, uh, of exploiting and amplifying the polarization and divisiveness in this country. So one group they focused on was uh, Black Lives Matter. And also, of course, white supremacists. So they did, they, they had messages for all the various tribes, if you will, uh, in this country.
2: And according to Clapper, through a very sophisticated disinformation campaign, they sought many objectives, one of which was aimed at voter suppression.
6: One of the things they did thematically, specifically with respect to minorities, blacks notably, was to discourage voting, to attempt to depress the vote.
2: According to McMaster, Russia was casting a wide net, grasping at straws. Then, and they're doing the same thing now. He says while race is the dominant theme, it's not the only one. Uh,
3: a distant second and third are issues of immigration and and gun control. So whatever it is that you know, that we we you know that we can. They, they can be used to divide us. Th- they'll do it. Russia doesn't have the power to confront us directly, as I mentioned. So they, they they want to drag us down. Putin sees himself as as somebody who can be the last man standing uh, as the democracies in Europe and in North America destroy as we destroy
2: ourselves. Right. And and so we have to recognize that. And a part of that recognition is understanding that foreign adversaries reaching into our country, trying to use disinformation to divide us, does not happen on a national scale. It happens at the local and the state level. And Brian Moran, he's the secretary of public safety and homeland security in the state of Virginia, explains how it works.
0: Yeah, it's a very real uh, problem. Uh, as you see, the United States right now and its politics are very polarized uh, over a number of issues and certainly the course of the summer uh, we've seen many demonstrations and and right here in Virginia we've seen a legislature take up any number of issues around our criminal justice system to to right previous wrongs and to make sure that our system is as race neutral as possible that that uh, black and brown communities are not disproportionately impacted by our criminal justice laws and so with that comes a lot, of, a lot of scrutiny, a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, protests and, and division. And Russia and other countries, that's what they are trying to exploit.
2: And the preferred platform for Russia's disinformation is social media.
0: Many of the social media posts that um, f- uh, fuel this division uh and and that's what they do uh they win if we lose you know i mean they they are trying to sow as much division within our country as possible and and clearly hey hey, you know we have our differences whether democrats republicans red and blue but eventually we got to come together as as the united states because uh foreign adversaries will take advantages uh, of our divisions and so uh, hopefully at the conclusion of this election Uh, we will indeed come together because um, they they, they clearly are trying to take take advantage of that. And so, again, uh, go to a credible news source. Much of what you see on social media may very well be uh, a foreign adversary uh, trying to sow division.
2: But while the conclusion of this election is going to give us a winner, McMaster points out that doesn't matter at all to Moscow they don't care who wins the election i don't
3: think jj what they what they care about is whoever wins that we that there are large portions of the american population that don't have confidence in the outcome and uh, and so it's it's incumbent on all of our leaders the president included but everybody to, to you know to restore
2: confidence in our democratic processes and as we've closed in on election day we've heard a lot from public officials about what's been happening on the disinformation front and how to deal with it
5: The FBI is the primary investigative agency responsible for malicious cyber activity against election infrastructure, malign foreign influence operations, and election-related crimes, like voter fraud and voter suppression.
2: Chris Ray is
5: director of the FBI. We're not going to tolerate foreign interference in our elections or criminal activity that threatens the sanctity of your vote or undermines public confidence in the outcome of the election. We
2: all want to believe that. But time and time again, we keep seeing evidence that Russia and other countries are able to manipulate through disinformation and other methods, including emails, text and robocalls, the thinking of Americans. So we go back to McMaster to find out if a system is really in place to deal with it.
3: I'll tell you JJ our, our election process
2: is, is secure it we have done a lot to
3: secure it when I when I was in the jobs one of the things I'm proud of you know is, is that that we convened efforts across the departments and agencies we took the gloves off our cyber forces in recognition that that good offense is necessary uh, to a good defense uh, we we established new organizations like the Cyber Infrastructure Security Organization. And, and, uh, and, and you know, we have a very decentralized system, right? It's tough to attack for that reason. But we established federal standards and, and the federal government's working routinely now with the states on, on securing the election process.
2: But for many Americans, it's not about whether the infrastructure is secure. It's about whether or not they are secure. A good example is in Virginia. On the 27th of October, it was "Bring Your Gun to Vote Day," and while it's perfectly legal according to Brian Moran, it's still something that authorities in Virginia had to keep a close eye on.
0: You know, we we do have militias in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and and they um, you know, they purport to support vigorously the constitution and certainly the principles of the second amendment and the first amendment free speech and and they were in charlottesville in 2017 and they were there uh they claimed to be there to ensure first amendment rights and of course as the day escalated and violence escalated they uh, you know they did leave uh the violence was not attributed to them but they were carrying weapons and and uh frankly with, with weapons of the kind they were carrying really chilled and impacted others first amendment rights those who wanted to come there and protest peacefully were intimidated by these foreign rooms and so uh we you know but until they're you know we, we have an open carry law in the commonwealth of virginia um they're perfectly within their rights to do that um uh, and within the laws of the commonwealth until those laws are changed and so unless they break the law there's you know there are other principles at stake like freedom of association uh freedom of speech and second amendment rights and so as long as they operate within within the law, um, you know, we, we will coexist peacefully.
2: And peace is the operative word because as we close in on election day, there are numerous reports circulating around the country, many of them unsubstantiated about the possibility of post-election violence. Again, former DNI Jim Clapper.
6: What worries me is what I think the, the president has already said that the only way he can lose the election is, is if it's rigged. And uh, I think he has a lot of proponents that, uh, that, believe, that uh, subscribe to that. And so what that could lead to is a, an extended period of, of uh, litigation of, of, of uh, court suits, lawsuits uh, and the like which could prolong uh, an, an official determination about who the winner was. And that I think makes for a, a, a really vulnerable interval for us both domestically and from a standpoint of national security. Domestically, I think that will, the longer that drags on, the more unrest that could uh, generate. And certainly from a national security standpoint, uh, if there's a, a good time for for mischief. That's it.
2: But Mike German, a retired FBI agent who was undercover in domestic extremist organizations, whom you've heard on this program before, says what we need to do is take a minute and step back.
4: What we have to understand in this country, political violence, terrorism is extremely rare. So it's very difficult to try to predict rare events, right? We just don't have enough data. And particularly uh, the way that our country and our government um, look at political violence, it's it's rarely covered, right? So, so we know that there tends to be an uptick in political violence around elections. Um, but I think some of that is just that we tend to recognize it as political violence when it occurs around elections. Uh, And typically it doesn't get covered. Um, The police don't investigate it. The FBI today can't tell you how many people white supremacists kill each year. It's just not something that uh, is prioritized. So it so my concern is is this kind of chatter will lead to greater coverage of incidents kind of the way uh, when the media starts covering shark attacks in Florida in a sensationalized manner, it starts to seem like there's an epidemic of shark, manhunting sharks out there. Um, But when you look over time, uh, the the number of attacks is actually fairly consistent and and at a very low level. So my concern is that this, uh, the discussion around this possibility is is going to cause a sensationalized coverage of incidents that four years ago would not have been covered so it will seem like there's a bigger problem and that will attract more attention and that will give that very small subset of people in our society who want to do harm uh an opportunity to become famous or infamous mm-hmm. and so you know it's it's certainly a possibility it's always a possibility um but I think it, it's very easy to overstate uh, mm-hmm. the nature of this type of violence.
2: But you're just not seeing anything to sub- suggest that, as you said, it's hard to predict. And uh, but you're just not seeing anything to suggest that we're we're on the cusp of some kind of big explosion of racial violence after this election.
4: I, I, I am am not. Wi- willing to predict. Right. Again, it's it, there. There are. Certainly, bad people out there who who want to do bad things and become infamous because of it. So you know, unfortunately, we're in a situation where because of the, the sensationalized media coverage about it that that there's a chance that somebody might take advantage of that. And mm-hmm. you know we've seen this before. You might remember the uh, the case involving Caesar Sayak, the person who mailed uh, explosive devices to the media and whatnot. So, so this happens. Um, but you, you, again, we're fortunate in this country that, uh, terrorism and political violence is relatively rare. And, uh, we don't want to make it seem like it's worse than it is, uh, and cause a kind of fear, uh, that, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy.
2: Yeah. I guess the better, bigger, better question is that you haven't seen anything any you haven't heard or seen anything that suggests that this is being contemplated not to not to uh, get you to predict
4: it right uh, uh, um, you know th- there's a lot of hot rhetoric out there but I, I don't know that it's any different than any other year right, right. That, that that there's a level of violence persistently that comes out of these far right militant groups and white supremacist groups, uh, others. <clears throat> so, you know, certainly there's a possibility, but I think we have to keep it in context mm-hmm. with that knowledge that this is a persistent low level threat and, right. uh, and it be skeptical about coverage that, that blows incidents out of proportion, you know, a shoving match in line at a, uh, polling place is not the type of violence that that deserves national coverage and is not something that would necessarily be out of uh, uh, ordinary w- elections. So, right. uh, you know, I, th- I think it, we all need to take, take a deep breath, uh, realize that we've had contentious elections in the past and uh, understand that, you know, there, there are it, it, other threats out there, right? You're probably more, more at risk driving to uh, the polling place uh, because of uh, uh, traffic, concerns about a traffic accident or, you know, showering in the morning than, uh, than uh, being a risk at risk of being a victim of political violence in this country.
2: So that's the bottom line. This is a tense, testy time, but we'll get through it If we go into the situation armed with patience, knowledge, calm and resilience, 2020 has already been a tough enough year with COVID-19, existing political chaos, the economic downturn being cooped up at home for months on end. It's time to turn the page. And these five professionals have told us exactly how to do it a former DNI, a former national security advisor, the FBI director, a former FBI agent, and the head of public safety in the state of Virginia are all telling us to turn the page. Chris and I will be back with some thoughts in a moment.
1: You're listening to Colors. Colors. My name is Aria Camioni lind and I'm a white woman who lives in the city of Rochester in upstate New York. I think lots of things about race and racism. I talk about race and racism a lot. I read about it. I listen to other people talk about it. For me, the most important thing about race and racism right now is to do anti-racism. To talk about it and think about it and then do it to dismantle systems of oppression in real, tangible ways, every day, all the time. I'm Tiffany Arnold, I'm African American, and I'm from the Midwest. I'm actually not surprised that what happened happened. My father is a black police officer, and, you know, we've been talking a lot about what's happened lately, and it's not that there's a resurgence in violence against people of color, it's just that there's more cameras. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
5: Well, JJ, after listening to all of that, all I can say is, as if we didn't have enough problems with race on our own, we have other countries trying to help us divide further than we already are. And it's just, I I, I have to say, really, until I heard these interviews, it's the first time I really understood how Russia in particular could use social media to get things blown out of proportion because we in the media tend to be willing subjects for this is that we're looking for a big juicy story. So we see something that is, as it turns out, fake news, or it's, you know, something that that gets planted on Facebook. And we tend, we try not to, especially on the radio, but you know, it does sort of influence because we start to think maybe that's true. Or if we don't do it, somebody else does. And, and this is really because of the combination of all those three guys is how I really got it for the first time, how they're able to manipulate the media especially through social media.
2: Yeah, and you know, Chris, one of the things that's really important that I learned over time and you know, I tried to highlight this in putting these these pieces together is that a lot of people really don't care if it's fake, if it's not real. A lot of people, and this is the really unfortunate part, a lot of people have gotten to the point where they're only interested in their own point of view. They don't care what the facts are. Um, They're not saying we're in a post-fact society, post, post-truth society. I don't believe that. But there are a lot of people who who feel that way. There's another element, too, that this is really distressing to me. A number of people that I know in the national security world, in the intelligence world, and in the political world, and education, and you know, military, and, 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 and what you name it, whatever discipline, are on social media, and they have completely lost their minds. I mean, these are people who are very reputable, people respectable who have done great things, but they're on social media and they are engaging in the most profane, disgusting, terrible kinds of um, pointing fingers. He said this, she said that, and they just don't seem to care that this is exactly what Russia wanted.
5: You know, I'm going to give you an example of something that happened down here in, in Florida where I am. Um, I live in a very quirky little town, as you know, and there is a character here who has out in his yard a whole bunch of just silly things, things like um, an English uh, telephone booth and uh, various monsters. And I can't even think of all the silly stuff that he has out there, mailboxes and just, just stuff. It's just littered all over his front yard. And one of the things that he has out there is a cow that's a black colored cow. It's, it sits there year round. He recently just put a sign on it that said black cows matter. Somebody posted that on social media to shame him to say, you know, that's really offensive. You shouldn't do that. And it, I had to just start breathing easily. This is why I can't do social media, because I started making me so angry. So I had to wait for my wife to get home. And I said, look, I want to respond to this. She said, Oh, don't do it. I said, it's racist. And, and she said, okay, then you got to respond to it. And so after thinking about what I wanted to say, cause somebody said, you know, why would a black person be offended by this? And so I wrote back to her and I said, well, because people who believe in black lives matter, think that they are perhaps trying to save their life or the life of their family. And this is trivializing that. And I, I got I got support from people, you know, who said who liked that. But it was just good for you. Well, it was just, Well, it was just so stupid. I mean, don't, what, what is wrong with you? Why would you put something like that out right now? Because we're not we're not done with having protests in, in St. Petersburg. So if you haven't gotten this by now, pal, you know, I don't, you're just not paying attention.
2: Good for you, Chris. And thank you on behalf of every single person who believes in the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because this is the part of the problem internally. You heard what that conversation with um, Secretary Moran was like. Yes. He, you know, he talked specifically about how we're all so polarized. You know, there have been numerous things that have torn us apart. And listen, I know that there are a lot of people amongst us that. M- m- They may suffer from mental illness. They may suffer from other things that make them say and do things that are inappropriate. But then you have the people who are not um, suffering from anything except racism, except from except for hate that are just looking for ways. They think things like that are funny. And this. Yeah. While we do need some kind of, you know, stress relief right now, that's that's not it. That's not the way to go. But here's the thing that I want to ask your thoughts on right now. What do we do about all of these people who, in spite of the facts, in spite of the information that's right there in front of them that says, this is what we need to do to save our country from foreign influence, people that just don't seem to care. What What is it that we need to do well, I, to make them care?
5: Yeah, I don't think it's it's not that they don't care. I think it's what you said before, is that they have a point of view and they're sticking with it no matter what the facts say. And if something comes out that supports that point of view, just backs them up, no matter how credible the source is or lack of credibility the source has, that's what they're going to go with because that backs up their their, their view. They're not open-minded. Uh, and, I, you know, it, it seems, I, perhaps it's not. I mean, I have to say that I felt better uh, when... Um, Mike German um, said, you you know, that it's always we've always had contentious elections. We just seem to forget that. Um, But it it, it does seem like we've just gotten more polarized and more and more polarized. And this just can't. This is not sustainable. It's not sustainable if we're going to be this polarized. We are one country. We have one president at a time. You might disagree or agree with him or her, but that's the way it is. And we can't keep refighting these fights over and over and over again because it's not healthy.
2: Yeah, no, and, and, and I'm serious about the question, though, to you, Chris. I know you you said, you know, your answer is, I'm not rejecting your answer, and I think it's a great answer, but I think we, you know, part of why we're doing this program and a part of why I am doing this program with you is because you're a seasoned journalist. You're also a very sensible and successful um, individual who happens to be white, who happens to have been a lot of places and done a lot of things, and you're very cultured and you understand the world and you understand a lot of things, but you're honest about what you don't understand. You're honest about, honest about what you think. Uh, and I'm just trying to get to the, some conclusion about how maybe we can help some other people. You know, Michelle Singletary talked about it with us a few shows ago how she just doesn't believe she can reach some people because they're just locked in. Don't people care about their children? Don't people care about their views possibly costing them their freedom or their lives? Because it could happen. I mean, if we go down the wrong path, uh, f- as it relates to for you know, if, if we go down the wrong geopolitical path, and some say we're sort of headed there now through a, a series of errors the U.S. has committed over years, many years. If we don't do the right thing, we could end up in a in a situation that's very different from the freedoms that we know and, and love here.
5: Yeah, I, I think that's uh, people need to be aware of that. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, that uh, That's why when when. Um, Mr. German said, you know, things are being blown out of things get blown out of proportion by the media. Uh, that's true to a certain extent. Uh, but some of this is deeper than that. Um, he mentioned the, the thing about shark attacks in Florida. And I had to laugh because every now and then a shark attacks somebody here. And if it's a slow news day, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have any slow news days these days. Uh, then that becomes a story. And I, I can remember, JJ, in this is how long I've been doing this in August of 2001. There, that was when we had these shark attacks in Florida, and I remember doing a talk show in Washington in which we were discussing shark attacks and how dangerous are they and are there more now and experts were calling it and we were talking about that. Of course, that changed September 11th because we had something bigger to talk about, but it was because it was a slow time in August and that's what we talk about uh, right now we have an abundance of news. So I don't know that we're going to be talking about anything really silly, but I do think that. Um, we need to understand that we are that Putin, particularly Putin, is trying to manipulate us. And I think which one was it said? Uh, I think it was uh, McMaster who said he wants to be he, th- he thinks he can be the last one standing. Yeah. That he, and, can, he can get us to bring our own country down by sowing enough doubt in it. Not, yeah. not that he's going to defeat us, like you said, militarily or anything like that. But he can be the last one standing because the our country becomes such a mess.
2: Well, he can always dream that's not going to happen. And it's certainly not going to happen in the 2020 election, because based on my reporting and talking to people like you and people all over the country, really, Americans have a handle on this. Regardless of which way the election goes, we're going to be okay.
5: All right. Well, we are uh, making this available to you if you listen to our podcast before the election. So we just remind you that is if you already don't know it, November 3rd is Tuesday, and it is important no matter how you vote, that you vote. And I think it's possible we'll have a record turnout this year, and I think that's good for our democracy as well.
2: Yeah, Chris, thank you so much. You're exactly right. Everyone needs to exercise their right to vote, even if you're not old enough to vote. Just have it in your mind how voting works and why voting is so, so, so important, because one day you will be old enough to vote and it needs to happen. That is a part of your civic duty.
5: All right, folks, if you'd like to uh, contact us and give us ideas, criticism, uh, suggestions for who could be on the podcast, things you'd like us to address, you can write to us at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. I'm J.J. Green. And I'm black. I'm Chris Kaur. And I'm white. And this is Colors.
1: coming up in our next episode of Colors.
2: Our next episode of Colors will be three days after the election. It's not clear what's going to happen or who will win, so we can't say much about what we'll do. All I can say is Chris and I will be back with a look at what happened and then what's next. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. So we're out the door before the election we want to say thank you. Gretchen Sorensen, Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Jocelyn Chesson, Melissa Howell, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Greg Strassel, Adam Carter, Kevin Stanfield, Jamal Bowens, Kyle Cooper, Dell Walters, Joey Rivera, Greg Christian, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Akash Gandhi. And most of all, a huge thank you to all of you for listening to us. And finally... Remember, just keep talking to each other.
1: You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.